Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You're nobody till somebody loves. I'm not seeking for the loyalty of any Negro, but I am seeking for Negroes to learn how to be loyal to themselves. And when the Negro learns how to be loyal to himself, our problem is pretty well solved. Only the feds are fear. They are the greatest threat to the internal security of only the feds are fear. They want to make it clear to black people that if they want to be revolutionaries, they will be dead revolutionaries. You're nobody till somebody kills you. It's official. Only the feds are fear. We've got some difficult days ahead. I probably am a dead man already. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Oh, yeah. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Just official. Like anybody, I would like to live. Somebody till somebody kills you. A long life, longevity has its place. Just official. But I'm not concerned about that now. <laughs> Only the feds I fear. Oh, yeah. I probably am a dead man already. I may not get there with you. To nobody. But I want you to know the night. Till somebody. And we as a people. Scared people, uh, Huey. The uh, Black Panthers any, scared people. Anytime the black man attempts to change the slave image, he will scare white people. So uh, the Black Panther Party, uh, I thank you. Uh, when you said that we scared people, that means that we were creating a, a positive black image for ourselves. It's official. Only the feds are oh, tonight, I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. The oppressor uh, is living in a
They are the greatest threat to the internal security of this country. We want to make it clear to black people that if they want to be revolutionaries, they will be dead revolutionaries. Dead men all this. In other words, uh, as far as uh, black people being slaughtered, we're slaughtered every day. And historically, 50 million black people were killed on the Little Passage alone, according to Melvin J. Herskovich. And uh, this was an act of genocide, uh, which is not talked about. And that uh, the only thing people talk about is the plight of the Jews, uh, where 6 million were killed. And uh, when I say 50 million black people were killed, just bring them to this country, uh, no one understands it. But uh, what, what I'm saying is that you know about it. Somebody kills you. I'll to the people. I'll call to people. This is the People's Black Panther Party Radio for Self Determination. Today, February the 28th, 21. Our national chairman is Jangan Kuma, national director of operations is Sister Seven Khadija. I'm the national chief of staff, Brother Robert War. And today, again, to hit you up from last week, we have the uh, Panther 48, which is Brother Syke and Brother E. We got some guests out there listening to us online. You can call into the show directly if you want to jump in and be part of the discussion by calling 323-870-4191 and press 1 to be placed into the queue. And at the right time, we will uh, announce your, your, your last four digits to let you be part of the show. Today's show we're going to build on murder, assassination of a movement. And this is important today because just coming off the back of what we discussed last week and the awareness that people are now having as it applies to the role the FBI and the United States government played in the destruction, the initial destruction of, of movements uh, back in the 50s and 60s, in particular, the Fred Hampton uh, assassination, we wanted to just continue to dive into the aspect of assassinations and elaborate further on the discussion of what assassinations mean to give you a broader and more open perspective on this aspect and how this impacts our lives across the board, whether you be involved in community empowerment or just in your day-to-day lives to, to show you how deep this actually runs. Um, in doing so, I just want to open up and give a real, real general breakdown, a real, real general breakdown of uh, the counterintelligence program. So the counterintelligence mm-hmm. program developed by the FBI was formalized in 1956. The deal with this program and let me just kind of break that down a little bit, counterintelligence. The idea behind this program was to counter the intelligence of the community and of community activism in order to disrupt the, the, the move and prevent the organizations from being able to be um, powerful and build up a, a base within the black community or a base within whatever organization that they were targeting uh, operated from. With that being said, the counterintelligence program developed by J. Edgar Hoover, the aims and objectives 
of the Encounter Intelligence Program was some of the aims and objectives from a broad perspective was to create a negative public in, in, image of those organizations that they targeted, create dissension between different groups that were organizing in the community, create internal destruction of the organization through uh, agents, uh, provocateurs, uh, snitch jackets, which is what they often did and caused people to kill each other or distrust each other, um, things of that nature. Uh, res- uh, restrict access to public resources, also restrict the ability to organize within the community, whether it be through a protest or any other examples like that. Restrict the ability of individuals for t- to participate in group activities. So counterintelligence program basically gave the FBI, um, as well as local law enforcement, as well as Department of Defense and the CIA to some degree, operations and the green light to go ahead and create and commit things to the all to the ultimate level of being able to actually uh coerce and develop assassinations now oftentimes these assassinations would be done by privatized citizens or operations that led to the FBI basically creating and and putting their stamp of approval on these assassinations. The whole concept of mentoring candidate comes as an example of these type of assassination. And and it wasn't just the Black Panther Party that, you know, ended up getting attacked and addressed in these org in, in terms of the COINTELPRO. But the main thing about that is the Black Panther Party got deemed public enemy number one as a result and therefore considered to be the greatest internal threat to the United States of America's security as a result of the operations that they were running, primarily educating the youth in the community. But as just as an example of some of the other organizations, the Young Lords, the uh, American uh, Indian Movement, uh, the Ku Klux Klan obviously was on their list. Um, let's see, several organizations and several people. Martin Luther King Jr. was, was constantly monitored. Uh, you had a lot of... Um, movie producers, movie stars, singers, actors, everything that was on this list. Muhammad Ali was high, uh, high on, on their list in terms, of being able to be, uh, in terms of being watched. A lot of the list, people that made the list had to do with folks that had the ability to influence. And then if they decided to take a step in, and become politicized, then that would move them higher up on the list of, of trying to coerce and create situations to where they will, it would go from monitoring them to creating snick jackets and, and creating disinformation that the general public would, would hear in regards to them. Another element within the COINTELPRO that a lot of people are not familiar with is that the counterintelligence program itself, again, was targeted to neutralize prominent figures uh, with the ability to impact mass movements uh, through politicizing the population and, and electrifying, unifying them across the board with the people, which is why Fred Hampton became the prime, one of the primary targets of assassination through COINTELPRO. But another aspect of that operation, or should I say a sub-operation, was actually counter-enlightenment operation. And a counter-enlightenment operation was basically targeting the population themselves, uh, the mass public's ability to engage with political consciousness, and black consciousness. And the whole point of that is you target those people that are 
already politicized and that are already in positions of, of, of working toward empowering the community, rising the masses up to a high level of consciousness. Um, but then you also had the other side of the coin to where you wanted to deal with what's called the counter-enlightenment. So those that, that movement was geared toward making sure there was a consistent bridge that would be destroyed between those people that were charismatic and moving toward uh, making things happen in the community from the community itself. So they actually, from that standpoint, targeted mass movements uh, and, and operations to create a misunderstanding, misrepresentation, miscommunication, and, and just a good level of distinction between the people and those people that were organizing the people. So the idea here is the attack from all sides. And the thing about the COINTELPRO operation is that it's easy to talk about it today because, again, we're talking from hindsight. But it wasn't until 1971 uh, through a raid on an FBI, local FBI office, that the COINTELPRO was actually um, opened up and realized to the general public. The organization, I believe, the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI burglarized the FBI field office in uh, Pennsylvania, and as they took a lot of documents with them, this is what exposed and opened up the world to, in fact, how deep the FBI and, and, and the government, the steps they were taking to destroy the movements within the United States. But a lot of that, keep in mind, a lot of movements were aware of the FBI. For instance, uh, J. Edgar Hoover himself had a meeting, direct meeting with certain people that he wanted to target, Martin Luther King Jr. being one, to where he flat out blatantly tried to tell him that if he don't do things a certain way, that he was to release information to the general public in regards to his, his sex life, in regards to how he operates. And uh, J. Edgar Hoover tried many of, uh, you know, reaching people directly, many of things on folks. He even ran operations on, on John F. Kennedy from, from that same standpoint. And what the FBI was known for doing is gathering so much information to where they find what they consider to be dirt on a group, organization, or so forth, and then attempt to try to use that as a wedge or, 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 or ability to, to neutralize their their uh, operation and their momentum within what, whatever it is that they were, they were working toward. So keep that in mind. The deal is, is that the FBI, using whatever means, whatever means were available to them at that time, being sanctioned and given the opportunity and the power to implement things all the way up, up to the level of actual of physical assassination, ran this operation. What people don't seem to realize is that when you talk about assassination and you talk about the implications that it has on the movement, this goes far and beyond what happened through just the COINTELPRO. That is just a blanket structure that was uh, basically made aware to the general pop population in 1971. So we use that to just to give people an example and give people an understanding that it is, if this operation was going on, just imagine what else is going on, and that's what you got to recognize. So this was 1971 when this was busted wide open. Till to this day, there are obviously the same type of operations going on, but things have shaped and reshaped themselves according to the modern times. 
So when we talk about assassinations now, we're not talking about assassinations where people have to physically uh, get a bullet between their eyes. Keep in mind the, 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 weapon, the weaponization of death and the art of death has evolved way beyond the capabilities of what it was back in the 50s and 60s. We're talking about an age now to where things uh, can, can be reduced to the scale of what we call nanotechnology. And from that, there are so many ways to kill a person to where the majority of, of, of the deployments of this appear to be natural causes. So we can't be, you know, so blindsided to think that just because death happens through a bullet in one generation, that that same mythology has to take place as we move forward with 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 the uh, with the modern times. So as we study COINTELPRO, as we study the tactics of, of of assassination, of neutralization, be aware of the fact that the deployment of of, in the, of the art of assassination has to evolve right along with the population, right along with the government, right along with the methods necessary to prevent that same uh, type of, should I say, uh, uncloaking to take place. So they've learned a lot from this. They've learned a lot from the messiness that took place at that point in time. So moving forward a little bit, in regards to COINTELPRO, another operation that I want to bring up that was very instrumental, and this goes back to some of the developments that were taking place in 19, in early, uh, the, the, the mid and the late 90s with the new Black Panther Party and organizations centered around uh, the stuff that was taking place as this organization was evolving. One of those projects that became known was, was called Project Megiddo. Now, the thing about Project Megiddo is that it was uh, so-to-sold developed between 1998-1999 to address what they referred to as the new millennium uh, era of, of terrorism. They, back then, as well as what we're going to get into later today, they supposedly called themselves looking into Christian identity movement, which is a, a, a white version uh, or the Ku Klux Klan uh, religious spectrum, and the Millennium operations through Project Megiddo were based around "quote unquote" uh, religious, primarily religious uh, extremism. So white supremacy was thrown in there. Black Hebrew Israelites were part of it; was a major target that was operated through that. Uh, Populistic cults were part of it. Also militias. Now here's a spinoff. In Dallas, Texas, the new Black Panther Party was, was all of a sudden making national and international headlines as a result of a charismatic figure named Khalid Abdul Muhammad joining forces after being released or kicked out of the Nation of Islam. Mind you, Project Megiddo was centered around religious extremism. So here you have a brother who had a form in their eyes, of, of extremism, religious extremism, now merging with a paramilitary. Brother Moore, you there? Sound like he dropped out. So go ahead, uh, Sykes, and get up where he, he was um, building on so he gets back on. All right, all right. Uh, and uh, we appreciate uh, Brother Moore. He got to come back because he is. Uh, 
he's pretty much the expert on dealing with uh, the COINTELPRO and counterintelligence organizations as it comes as it uh, come from perspective of coming from the government. So what I'm gonna start building on right now is we we decided to do this show on the tail of last week's show. Last week we we did a commentary on the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, and one of the major factors that we had to really talk about and really deal with was the fact that they used another brother uh, and William O'Neill to help take down Fred Hampton. Brother what, that's you? Yeah, I don't know what happened, but I got kicked out. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you dropped All that right. on us. Okay, go ahead, brother. Yeah. All right, so I think where I left off in talking about Khalid Abdul Muhammad uh, coming into the extremism, the situation was here you had a brother who was actually merging with the new Black Panther Party. So at that point, you have the double dilemma to where you have, quote-unquote, religious extremism merging with a uh, pro-black paramilitary-like organization. So with bringing those two together, it actually moved the new Black Panther Party to a new level of threat within the United States. One of the first, if not the first, office that helped pilot the Project Megiddo turned out to be Dallas, Texas. As a result of that, there was an operation, and I don't have the specific details, but I urge my listening audience to do the research and look it up, to where FBI started actually providing uh, the Dallas Police Department with new types of technology for surveillance in exchange for them locally doing a high-end level of monitoring of the activities of the new Black Panther Party as well as do whatever they could to infiltrate the organization. So through Project Megiddo, you started seeing some of the same levels of operations that were deployed through COINTELPRO implemented within the new Black Panther Party. So as the new Black Panther Party started operating now on this national level, there was a specific operation similar to COINTELPRO that was used to target the new Black Panther Party, to target uh, the Black Black Hebrew Israelites, to target the Nation of Islam, continually target the Nation of Islam, and other organizations that were centered around that. With that happening, this heightened and continued, like I said, the same things that happened with COINTELPRO. And it is to, and we would be foolish to think that the same types of things are not continuing forward. For this nation to establish itself behind the backs of maintaining certain law and order, as all uh, basically um, world powers do, they must put certain things in place and they must control the dynamic of how the local population starts politicizing itself and becoming more aware and more aggressive towards fighting back certain things that they see to be injustice. So it, is, it is, should be expected by everyone to know that these type of things are taking place. The problem we have is that too often people misassociate certain types of things that appear to be on the surface, uh, internal struggles appear to be on the surface uh, projected uh, disinformation or projected, uh, projected information that is actually disinformation or is actually misinformation from the actual sources and organizations. So when we have that type of thing going on, 
an average person is not able to distinguish the, the, the false falsifications from the real deal and the organization themselves not being in control of the media or being in control of the image that's portrayed by them through social media, we find ourselves constantly up against some of the same type of attacks that took place then. So when we talk about assassination now, it is more about the assassination of the character. But I'm going, before I even dive into that, I'm going to basically summarize this. Recognize that the, con- the concept of counter- countering our intelligence is not something new, was actually implemented before the word co- was coined together, and is continuing forward to this current day in terms of different types of operations. When we talk about what took place on the Capitol in terms of, of the quote-unquote siege, know that that event, that operation in itself, had uh, it, uh, the intelligence community had their hand in that operation for the sake of being able to control the narrative to create certain types of legislation so that they can have a solution for a problem that they created in the first place through certain types of things and certain types of uh, uh, plants and moves that they project and promote through organizations in the first place. Too often we want to give too much credit to organizations like um, Antifa in terms of some of the moves that they make, not realizing that there is some there are, there are provocateurs that operate throughout all these organizations. Provocateurs are the ones that tend to make these type of aggressive moves that get organizations put on the map in the first place that create elements of fear, that creates the people to say something has to be done about this organization in the first place. So the problem was actually implemented and, and put in interjected within these organizations by provocateurs, which are pushed and created through the government so that they can come right along and create certain types of legislation and get certain granted certain types of powers so that they can actually control how they deal with these organizations in the first place. So as I turn it, turn it over to uh, Brother Syke, I just want y'all to think about that as a backdrop to the whole scenario that we're getting at. Go ahead, Brother Syke. All right. All right. I appreciate that, Brother Wall. Back to what I was saying uh, about Fred Hampton. Last week we did a commentary on the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. We we dealt and dealt a lot with how another brother was used as a pawn and as a major piece to help take down brothers like Chairman Fred. But that's not the first time. It definitely probably will not be the last time in in the history of this country that that type of move would be used. That type, same type of move was used in the death of Malcolm X. That same type of move was used in the uh, arresting of the Pastor 21, and we can continue to go on and on because the Brother Watchers explained that uh, J. Edgar Hoover organized within the FBI a program called a counterintelligence program for the specific purpose of taking down what he considered uh, uh, racist and hate-type groups, essentially any type of group that could be a threat to the power of the country. And when you think about it, if you think about it unemotionally, take all emotions, take all concepts of right and wrong out of it, it's actually what a, what a power, what a superpower would do. Anybody in power does whatever it takes to stay in power. And anytime you have organizations and groups actually raising up saying, hey, 
we really want you to enforce the concepts and ideas that you propose in the Constitution. We really believe all people should be free. We really believe that power should be spread amongst the people. We really believe in these ideas, then that becomes a threat to the power, to the to the power base of those who actually have power. Recently, also we did the commentary on uh, on the movie. It was also just so happened to be the anniversary of Malcolm X's death. Uh, it was February twenty first, and happened to be the anniversary of Malcolm X's death. Malcolm X was assassinated February twenty first, nineteen sixty five. And and before I continue. Let's make, let's make sure that we make a distinction between the words assassination and murder. See, uh, 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 murder is when you kill a man, when you do whatever it takes, whether you hit him with a car, shoot him with a gun, stab him when you kill a person. An assassination is when you murder for a political purpose. That's what, an assass- what differentiates assassination from murder. Assassination is when you murder for, the, for a political purpose, for political means. And that's what made uh, someone like Malcolm X a death and assassination. Malcolm was, uh, <clears throat> the, the United States government was implicit in creating and helped foster the divide between Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm's organization and the Nation of Islam. <laughs> then they placed undercover police officers in Malcolm's organization. And nine times out of ten, they, you had the same thing in, in the Nation of Islam and informants, paid informants in the nation and in Malcolm's organization. Recently, a letter just came to uh, light from a, uh, from, a, from a cat that was an undercover police officer in Malcolm X's organization. According to the letters, it listed all this, maybe this could be found on, on any news post. It was on, uh, uh, it was on uh, uh, press releases, it, all this was done. You can look it up anywhere on YouTube. Uh, the, guy, the guy, his name was uh, Raymond A. Wood. He was an undercover New York police police department officer, and he worked in the, what they call the Bossy Division. Bossy was essentially the Bureau of Special uh, Services and Investigations for the New York uh, Police Department. And basically, all Bossy was was uh, a local COINTELPRO. They basically took the concept of the counterintelligence program from the FBI and enacted that in New York. And they did basically the same exact thing with the Bossy that they that David uh, Hoover did with the counterintelligence program. Anyway, this guy, he, he, was, he had cancer, and he was, he was uh, basically he was going to die. They basically told him, you got cancer, you're dying. So he wrote a letter in 2011, basically admitting that he was an undercover police officer, that his handlers placed him in Malcolm's organization to help disrupt and, and create the environment to set up Malcolm for being murdered that day. He, he basically explained this in the letter, that he, that he wrote, but he told his cousin, who was the executive of his estate, not to uh, uh, not to uh, put the make the letter public until after he died. Now he thought that he was going to die, but he lived for another ten years. And the letter just became public in, uh, uh, early in February. It just recently became public. Now the guy's daughter to put all the information out there because I believe the people having all the information to be able to think for themselves. The guy's daughter said the letter is a fake. The police officer, the undercover police officer. His daughter says the letter was a fake. She says, and I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with this or believe it, but she says my father was not a coward. If he was participating in Michael's murder, he would have said it. He wouldn't have waited till he died for somebody to stand up for him. I mean, but if you think about it, that's what a daughter's gonna say. That's what anybody's uh, uh, daughter, anybody, 
you know, you, you always have these, these close family members that say, my son would do such a thing. My mother would do that. That's not her character, you know. But I don't think any black man in his, in his, in his right mind would, would like to stand up, even if he wasn't afraid of being killed, would like to stand up and say, hey, I'm the one that participated in the death of Malcolm X. Hey, I'm the one that helped set up Martin Luther King Jr. I don't think nobody would want to say that and then have to live with that. I mean, we even talked about it last week about William O'Neill committing suicide after he did the interview for Eyes on the Prize too, you know, and, and, and all the things and all the, the things that he was constantly, consistently trying to convince himself over the years but the but the uh the guilt that the man was living with. So anyway, the the uh the man's cousin, the man's cousin, the executive of of his will, he stood and did a uh, press release. And he explained that his cousin told him basically to make this letter public after he died. And in the letter, the, uh, the, the undercover police, black undercover police officer essentially said that he was placed in the organization, put close to Malcolm. He was told by his handlers to help set up Malcolm's chief security detail uh, 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 on a fake, on a fake uh, charge, basically wanting to bomb the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. They was arrested earlier that week. And then he was put in charge of security uh, at the Audubon Ballroom at the day that Malcolm was murdered. And the whole scene was basically set up for Malcolm to be assassinated. According to him in the letter, he said he didn't know Malcolm X was the target, which I don't know how he could possibly not think Malcolm X was the target, but he said he didn't know Malcolm X was the target. And he said that him having a military background, he knew what could happen to him if he did not follow orders and things of this nature. But I say all this. <clears throat> I bring all this up because it, 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 it's just adding to how uh, the, the very people that these brothers was trying to wake up, trying to trying to raise to higher levels of consciousness, the very people that they were trying to liberate, the very people that they had dedicated their lives to, Fred Hampton, uh, uh, Malcolm X, the very people that they did this for are the same people that assisted the enemy in eliminating are the same people. It kind of goes to, and I hate to use fiction for this, but this fiction is so is so uh, uh, prophetic in this. It goes to the movie The Matrix when 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 uh, Morpheus and Neo is walking, and uh, Morpheus explains to Neo the nature of the Matrix, and he tells him anybody that's not that has not been disconnected from the Matrix is potentially an agent. Anybody that's still tied to this line of thinking. That's still falling for this miseducation is potentially an enemy of, the, of us. And these are the very people we're trying to live with. These are the very people we're trying to wake up. And I'm going to give a quote from, uh, from uh, 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 George Jackson. This is a quote from his book, uh, Solid Ad Brother. He said this He said, It should never be easy for them to destroy us. If you start with Malcolm X and count all of the brothers who have died, or been kept to sin, you will find that not even one of them was really prepared to fight. No imagination or fighting style was evident in any of the incidents. But each one of them that died professed to know the nature of our enemy. It should never be easy for them. You know, and, and I always think back to that. And and that's a, that's that's something I think needs to be asked uh, uh that people need to ask themselves. Everybody that consider themselves community actors consider themselves revolutionaries, consider themselves agents of change, they need to ask themselves, if I claim to know the nature of the enemy, 
am I easy to be taken out? Can I easily be taken out the way our predecessors was? Because evidently it was something, it's one thing to say you know and understand, and it's another thing to act on what you say you know and understand. And I'm going I'm to touch on something that Brother Watt talked about before I pass the mic to Brother E. I'm going to touch on something real quick. Uh, Brother Watt said, if you understand that these things was happening in the 60s and the 70s, you have to just use your imagination to try to figure out what they're doing now, what's going on right now, you know. And and one of the things that, that came up recently and, and, and a few years back was Edward Snow, who defected from the NSA and, and, and basically essentially had to go on the run because he became a whistleblower. And he told of all the things that the NSA were doing. One of the major things was it was keeping tabs on public citizens. Everything that you was doing, they were keeping tabs on, especially if they 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 taught they they saw you as a potential threat to national security. Porn sites you looking at all that. They got all that. Ever Snowden said that they have he did a um an interview I read, last one I read from him was in Wired magazine. I can't remember the exact year. But he did an interview in Wired Magazine at the time. I think he said that he was in, in Russia at the time. But at, at any moment, he could be anywhere else because, you know, he moving because the United States government is after the guy. But he said that that well, he was responsible. He was an analysis. He was an analyst, I mean, excuse me. He was an analyst. And his job basically was to go over this information. And if you consider yourself active, any kind of movement, they they're, they're they're watching every website you go on. They checking your 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 porn habits. They checking all of that, and they said if they gather that, he said if they gather that. So just in case you become a problem anywhere in the future, they'll take this information and use this against you. As Brother Wall was talking about uh, uh, character assassination, they'll take all of this and use this against you. Next thing you know, you'll be sitting in court, uh, uh, labeled as a pedophile. And showing all the different points I should have went to. This this is how they are prepared to deal with you and take you out of the game, not necessarily through physical murder, but through character murder, you know. And uh, with that said, I'm gonna go on and pass the mic to Brother E and see what the brother, what the uh, what the most uh, <clears throat> antagonistic brother has to add to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the antagonizer. <laughs> I, I can't deny it. I can't deny it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, the way I look at it, okay, you pose the question, all of these leaders, all of these folks that were processed for leadership positions within the movement, the struggle, whatever, were, you know, comparatively easy to take out the game. It dawns on me more and more I think about it. I really don't like thinking about it a lot, but the more I think about it, and this is, this is you know, oftentimes when we talk about this, we, we, we tend to focus in on the 60s and the 50s and that, that civil rights era, but we got to remember back uh, Nat Turner, Denmark D.C., Gabriel uh, Parker, all of these cats had, had uh, uh, traitors in their midst. So this is not anything new, you know, uh, our rebellions in the past didn't just fail just because we didn't do a good job. There was always somebody on the other side, you know, trying to trying to come up, trying to, to serve their they selfish interests, have a selfish lifestyle. Uh, so look at it, and I think about it, 
I keep coming to the conclusion that our people have failed us. The reality of it is, I know war's input into the movement. I know Sykes' dedication to the movement. I know what I've done and not trying to elevate any of us uh, to, to a Malcolm X status or a TV status to any of those cats. Those cats are esteemed, you know, venerable martyrs and elders and all of that. But the dedication and the choice, the decision to do was in the same vein. And when I think about how we, over the years, because I count my, my stepping into the movement in about 89, 90, so that's, you know, 20 or whatever years. And the choices that we made to give up certain lifestyles, you know, the regular average Tom, Dick, and Harry lifestyle of just kicking it, just having a job, just enjoying, maybe getting high a little bit, you know, uh, having a chick, having a side chick, having a decent, whatever regular folks do, we opted to take a much more difficult path and in doing so put ourselves in harm's way on purpose to be the lightning rod for the masses of the people and to look at the masses of the people and say, look, y'all just, you know, do what you got to do. We'll take the heat for it. We'll put our necks on the line. We'll stick ourselves out there as we gather and, and get together and, and, and congeal and, and, and come together and create this, this, this better body that we can have. We played our part. Masses of the people refused to play their part. In fact, they played the part of the slaves and continue to play the part of the slaves. And there are times that, you know, how you, you look back and you're like, man, we didn't really, we didn't, we didn't accomplish nothing. We didn't get nothing done. We failed this. And we should have done better than that and blah, blah, blah. And the reality of it is, it's hard for me at this point to look back and say, we messed up. We did bad or we failed or we had shortcomings and all of that. Yes, we make errors because we're human, but the reality of it is the masses of the people failed us. We filled out an application. We showed up to the job site. We worked day in and day out, 10 or 12, uh, can't see in the morning so can't see at night, but the masses of the people refused to show up to the job site. Left us hanging out on a limb. So when you ask the question, how is it that our so-called that our leadership is so easily taken out the game? The masses of the people made it so. The masses of the people decided that you know hairstyles and tennis shoes are more important than uh, actually having some type of freedom, having some type of power, having some type of liberation. So it always falls back on the shoulders of the masses of the people. The masses of the people have shown a lack of desire to, to be liberated. The masses of the people don't want to be free. The masses of the people don't even have a concept of what freedom is, except that they can go buy the, the, the newest big screen TV. That's free. And <clears throat> it, it, it's one of those situations where you, 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 you kind of feel guilty, or I kind of feel guilty for thinking that, but when I look at the evidence, that's what it is. Malcolm didn't kill himself. Uh, uh, Fred didn't kill himself. This was the people allowed this to happen. The people enabled the, the, the government. 
You know, when Malcolm in that song, when Malcolm said that he's not looking for the loyalty of anybody, he's looking for African people to be loyal to ourselves. And when we become loyal to ourselves, hell, our situation will be taken care of. That's the biggest problem. We are not loyal to ourselves. We bought into the, the, the greatest assassination tool ever known to anybody on the face of the earth, and that's the victim's fear. We are so afraid of the alternative. We are so afraid of not having the newest. We are so afraid of death, as if you can escape death. You know, we've been we, we bought into the, the trick that we can somehow keep on living, and it's better to live on forever in these bad conditions than it is to put our life out there and make a choice to go out this way or that way or have the possibility of this way or that way. <clears throat> Buying into that fear by believing what the oppressor has told us, that as if death is something. Death ain't shit. You know, in, in, in that movie Belly, and I don't have a problem using fictitious uh, uh, movies and things like that any more than somebody would have a problem with using the Bible to explain the point. It's all the same to me. But in Belly, <clears throat> toward the end of it, when uh, Benjamin Chavis is pretending to be Minister Farrakhan and he's having that conversation with uh, Tommy or whatever his name is, uh, 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 and, and, and he's explaining to him, you know, the oppressor has, has, has fallen for their, their trick that you could come somehow outwit death, that you could get away from death. You bought into that madness. We believe that madness. We've taken on their concept of what life is and their concept of what death is, and so they have us by the, by the nuts. They have control because we're afraid of everything they tell us that they could do, would do, everything we don't want. And we bought into the, the, the pittance, the, the little measly crumbs, as opposed to buying into something much greater than ourselves. So, so yeah, I, I, I am a little bit jaded. You say I'm antagonistic, you're damn right. I'm antagonistic because antagonistic these motherfuckers have let us down. All the, the, the house parties we could have gone to and kicked it and just been regular niggas. We could have been regular niggas like everybody else, but we vested into a system, into a, into a, 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 a struggle to attempt to make things better. And in return, the masses of the people, because of their own fear, sit on us, laugh at us, walk around. You know how they used to sing uh, the Men in Black theme song when we come down the street or some shit? Yeah, that was cute, but whatever. So... All of that buying in, that, that one thing alone is, to me, the thing that makes all of this possible. If the masses of the people weren't so afraid of their own shadows, and I don't even mean the cats in the street. I'm talking about the bougie-ass niggas. You know, these cats, I see, I'm not going to call no names, <clears throat> but I see this cat doing Instagram or YouTube before he got arrested, and now he got to go fund me to try to get his bail, get his ass out of jail. That's a trip. But... When I see Instagram videos with these cats with these fly-ass watches, you know, on sitting up in the camera doing these, these, these you know, conversations telling people to stand down or don't do this and don't do that, and then these cats show up in front of a courthouse, one or 200 strong, ARs, 12 gauges, the whole nine, ready to roll. And they don't do shit. I learned the hard way. You don't pull the weapon out unless you're going to use it. These cats showed up multiple times with weapons and didn't use them. Q and them, Black Panther Party, Q and them, Q and the, the gang back in the day, they pulled out their weapons, but they used them. 
there's no doubt, can't be any doubt in anybody's mind that they weren't afraid of using what they had because they had an end game that was beyond the physical. It was beyond the here and now. It was beyond a two app. These cats that do this today, blanket statements, all of them, I don't care who the fuck you are, in fact or whatever they call themselves or uh, uh, this Panther uh, faction or that Panther faction, you show up in front of a courthouse yelling, no justice, no peace or whatever, and you got a rifle in your hand and you don't use it, you are, you are, you are fake, period. You don't stand up and do all of that yelling and threatening with a rifle in your hand multiple times and don't use it. And we don't use it because showing up with the rifle is the end game. We have no end game beyond that because we're afraid of what is beyond that. Yes, if you do that shit and you go in and you do like, like you and them back in the day, you're going to die. Period. Get the fuck over it. You're going to die anyway. Read a book about your ancestors and figure out what we understood about death, how we had it right, how they got it wrong. Lose your fear of that so we can stop losing people left and right who stick their heads up and say something or get brought down because they say something. And that's the only thing that's going to change. It's the only thing that's going to bring some type of loyalty of the Negro to himself is to overcome that fear that we bought into because it makes it so easy to destroy our leadership, our real leadership, in doing what it is we're doing. And so the masses of the people stop buying into that bullshit, no, I'm going to keep on being antagonistic because apparently being nice to motherfuckers for 20 years ain't helped. It ain't got the job done. Being nice and polite, now fuck all of that. If you're going to talk it, die. When somebody goes up to, to some, and I'm not saying to do it, but if somebody goes up and goes out like them cash up at the Capitol, them white boys. It was some of them that were sincere. I'm not talking about the Asian provocateurs and, and all of them. I'm talking about the ones that were sincere. The white girl that ran up and, and put her head in that glass door and got popped in the face or wherever she got hit. I believe she was probably sincere about the shit. But she went out. I, and like I said, I don't know the shit. You don't know the shit. So I'm assuming she was sincere about it. If she was, she went out the way she was supposed to go out. Damn, the, the consequences. Damn, she died. She went out the way she was supposed to go out. She stood for what she believed in. She moved forward on that shit, and it took her life. Big deal. Something's going to take your life one way or the other. So we got to stop punking out. The masses of the people got bitches about this shit. If we're going to listen to songs that talk about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a gangster this, and I'm a whoop, 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 prove it. If you can listen to it, if you can act like it, and if you can thug and, and, and throw your weight around against some little powerless-ass black folks, throw your weight around in the right direction. Because that, that, those are the ones that, the only ones I fear the fed. Because they're the only ones that, that can do what they can do. I, you know, so, so all of this, this conversation and, and rap songs and people styling and profiling and, 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 and portraying these images and whatnot of what they, what they, they, they digital image of what they think they are, as opposed to uh, uh, not being numb to who it is they really are, uh, uh, need to stop. And folks need to start, to, and I'm talking now about those within the struggle, particularly the ones that, that, that jump up, grab rifles, and, or even don't grab rifles, walk down the street with your fists up in the air, talking about no justice, no peace. That shit is so tired. That shit is so worn out. It ain't been no justice but they've still been at peace for all of these years. We ain't did shit. Those 
our head out there and said, hey, I'll take the beating. Let's go. Y'all just get my back. Motherfuckers disappeared. That's us saying it. That's us sitting out to dry. So, yeah, I'm real antagonistic because black folks got me pissed off. I'm tired of dealing with niggas. I'm tired of dealing with Negroes. I'm tired of dealing with false-ass Africans who think that by saying some fly shit about the movement, that they're about the movement. And that's just, that's just the way it is. My bad. Didn't mean to, to, to run folks out. I think you get on point. <laughs> Let me say this. I know war ready to get. I know war is to get it. I want to you, you, you spark mm-hmm. something in me. You spark the thought. So I'm going to add this. Uh, you talked about, the, about being afraid to die. You know, I got to get one. You quote. I always got to get one. You once said, he said, I teach the comrades. <laughs> he said, I teach the comrades to uh to not stress over death. He said that uh he say he say ah how did he say what's the quote? He said that uh you could die only once. You don't die a thousand times worrying about it. And I I love that quote. I love that quote. So uh Tupac said it Tupac re said it or restated it in the in the uh on the album of Me Against the World, you know, when he said uh he said a coward dies a thousand deaths. A soldier dies for once. But let's go to this master thing real quick before I pass it back to Juan. And we're going to use, since you decided to use a movie, you said it's, it's basically the same thing. I'm going to use something from scripture to explain this point. I always like to look at the story of Yahshua being Jesus, the cat that they, that they uh, call Jesus. In this guy's story, when you look at the story, you understand that he's the archetype for the master builder. He's the archetype for somebody who's trying to raise the consciousness of a group of people. And in the God's story, you see that it's three groups that are complicit in killing the guy. Three different groups participate in taking the guy to the game. And those three groups are the, the, uh, the government, represented by Pontius Pilate, the religious order, represented by the Pharisees, and the masses of the people. The very people that he was trying to teach, that he was trying to heal, that he was trying to give their sight to them, that he was trying to give their hearing to them, these very people are the very people that scream crucify him. They're the very people that turned against him. And in his own circle, amongst his own clique, he had a Judas. And, and this is why I say he's an archetype, because when we look at an archetype, instead of sitting up waxing poetic about what some dude did 2,000 years ago, when you look at an archetype, then you understand that this is, is, is an example they're going to do to you and how they're going to do it. And to me, that's what Scripture is for. Scripture is not to sit up and fantasize about what some guy did a few thousand years ago. Scripture gives you a format for understanding what governments, what leaders, what commanders are doing right now. And if you find yourself in this archetypical position, this is, these are the three major factors that you have to deal with. And they killed the guy. They took the guy out with three different, with three basic different ways. They gave the guy, when they crucified the guy, they gave the guy the sour wine. They, they put a crown of thorns on the guy's head. And they, and they hit his side, his left side, with a spear in his heart. And all this is a metaphor. All this is symbolic. And don't, don't never misunderstand me. I don't, all this is just metaphor. And, and, and to me, it's very important to understand that the metaphorical truth is way more important than trying to find some historical fact. 
way more important. The metaphorical truth is more powerful. So to me, if you got to believe that this was historical fact, okay, go with it. If that gives you some kind of energy and strength, hey, more power to you. But you have to admit that the metaphorical truth in the story has more power in it if you understand it. And the metaphor, the symbolism in, in the way that the God was taking out the game, first, the sour wine. When you think of the sour wine, it was to constrict his throat or to stop him from speaking. So the whole concept of that is one of the first things you do to a master teacher is you take away his ability to reach the people, and that is through his speech. You silence him. You shut him up. You stop him from talking. The next thing that you do, they put the crown of thorns on his head. And, you know, one thing you got to understand that the thorns in nature is found amongst roses, amongst rose bushes. And the purpose of a thorn, as a matter of fact, thorns are nature's natural barbed wire. And it's to keep wild animals from, from destroying a rose bush because a rose looks so pretty and it smells so good that it attracts wild beasts. But the thorns protect that rose. Symbolically, the rose that was being protected by this crown of thorns was, was the brother's mind, the knowledge, the information that was in his mind. And so the thorns represented the, the, the lies, the misinformation that's placed around the brother's ideology and his philosophy to make the people not want to touch it to make the people not want to pick this beautiful rose. And the last thing that you always do, and Brother E just, just spoke so beautifully about it. He just expressed it. The last thing that you do to, to a brother who's trying to trying to uh, raise the country of other people is the spirit to the heart. The heart symbolically represents the seat of emotions. So if you put a spirit to the heart and then the blood leaves the heart, then symbolically what you're saying is you made him lose his love. And the only thing that motivates the revolutionary is love for the people. That's it. And if the people, if the, if the revolutionary feels the people have turned against him or her, then they no longer have nothing to motivate them to keep doing the work. And this is the symbolism that's given us in this story. This is what we have to understand in this story. Every single teacher that comes along and tries to raise the conscience of other people, you have to face three factions: the government, the religious order, and the masses of the people same people you're trying to wake up, and they will always try to take you out with three blows. Silence you, keep you from speaking, lie about your knowledge, your information. He's a racist. The way they talked about Malcolm and, and other brothers of, of his kill that came along, they tried to poison your thinking about what it was that they were teaching, and they give you so many blows from the very people that you're trying to, not trying to liberate, it makes you lose love for the people. So to me, these are very, very important uh, uh, factors to look at and to be prepared for when you decide to do this type of work. But with that said, I'm going to let Brother Walk come in and get long-winded for y'all. All right. Appreciate that, brother. (laughs) All right. So so one of the things I want to pick back up on that I didn't get a chance to really get into was some additional aspects of uh, modern-day versions or leading up to the modern-day version of COINTELPRO. And uh, two of those were the, the U.S. Patriot Act Warrant Part 1 and Part 2. So the U.S. Patriot Act was signed into law by President George Bush in October of 2001. That date is real significant. So just keep that in mind. It was October the 20, around October the 26th of 2001 that that bill was signed in, into law. As well as, and let me break down what that what the uh, Patriot Act stood for. 
uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and extract, extract terrorism. Now, what's important about this bill and the signing of 2001, October 2001, is the fact that that's when it was initially signed into, uh, in, in, into, into law. But 2001 is also the year Khalid Abdul Muhammad was assassinated. On top of that, 10 years after, the, after that, you got uh, Muammar Gaddafi, Gaddafi that was, that was assassinated. The thing and the connection between that that a lot of people don't know, let me talk on to that. Khalid was actually close with Gaddafi. Gaddafi. Khalid was actually able to pick up the phone and call him. Standpoint, as Khalid was moving and making and shaking uh, passages throughout the United States in regards to what he was building up with the, new, with the new Black Panther Party. Now, mind you, I am not endorsing the moves. I'm simply talking about the facts of what was taking place. The facts of what was taking place is he was building a strong base. As he was building a strong base, he was already identified as being a, a uh, extremist as it applies to religion and now militancy. So he was bridging the two worlds together in the form of within the black community. And that was a potent, powerful cocktail that the United States government did not want to hide. So it is a connection between what they was doing with him and the signing of the Patriot Act and regarding what was taking place within the Patriot Act. Because the Patriot Act was also the aspects within the Patriot Act, what, what they discussed and what they in, in basically enhanced was domestic security against terrorism. They enhanced surveillance procedures. They dealt with anti-money laundering to prevent terrorism. They also called themselves tightening up certain aspects of border security, uh, removing obstacles from investigate, uh, 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 in regards to investigation of terrorism. So they created umbrella groups to allow the different intelligence agencies to be able to cross-communicate cross and utilize more, more of the resource pools amongst each other so that you couldn't, didn't have so many gaps in terms of intelligence sharing. Uh, so in, in doing so, that helped improve intelligence. And then they obviously created more legislation that is regards to terrorism uh, criminal law. The thing about this, going into what was going on at the time, is this helped make uh, lead the way into new levels of technological advancements as it applies to uh, dealing with intelligence and dealing with creating levels of assassination. So when Khalid was killed, it was looked upon as being a brain aneurysm. And I'll let y'all just go back and do your research on the case yourself. But the thing about that is, again, there wasn't a bullet put between his eyes. So you create, this, you, you create a situation to create an aneurysm, and now these are natural causes of death. So when an autopsy is done, they rule the death to be an annual brain aneurysm, case closed, regardless of the facts that surround it, right? And so from an international perspective, what's that? I would just say inside. From an, in, go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Okay. From an international no, perspective, ahead. it also – opened up the borders and opened up certain types of uh, abilities to allow them to reach out further to targets. 
And so because of certain relationships that Gaddafi was forming, certain people had to be eliminated within the United States. Khalid was, being, was, was one of them to be able to prevent the, the connection that was ultimately taking place between allocating certain types of resources that were being dealt with here in the United States, connecting to, to uh, through those rich resources on the continent. Another thing that also dealt with and came right into play along the same line was an organization called the Holy Land Foundation. The Holy Land Foundation was considered to be an extremist organization that also dealt with supposedly money laundering through uh, money laundering through donations and also supplying certain types of militia movements, certain types of, of, of supposedly, supposedly sale operations, as well as a lot of people don't know, there was an indirect connection and tie in Dallas, Texas, between the Holy Land Foundation and the New Black Panther Party. As a result of things like this, this is what led operations like Megiddo to be centered around Dallas, Texas, centered around a lot of the things that was potentially, in their eyes, taking place within the the framework of of the New Black Panther Party, especially as it applies to extremism. So Khalid Muhammad found himself in the same position that we talk about when we talk about Fred Hampton, what we talk about when we talk about Malcolm X in terms of needing to be assassinated because of the bridges and the connections within resources that were being put together. So Patriot Act 1 and 2 was created to address those type of things, building off of what Megiddo did. And then, skipping ahead a little bit, we get to what was referred to as black identity extremism. So all along, you're, you're still finding where no matter what's taking place, the FBI is still considering the quote-unquote black organizations to be the most greatest threat to the internal security of the United States. Now, mind you, when Black Identity Extremist uh, memo came out, this was right on the height of when you had um, Antifa and a lot of white nationalists doing crazy maneuvers, crazy things within, within, the, uh, w- within the country and making all kinds of noise. But yet, black identity extremism was considered to be the greatest threat still. And mind you, when you just look at that word, identity, extreme, what in the hell does it mean to be extreme within black identity? That in itself is is just a crazy play on words and a crazy play on our intelligence, the fact that you can be too too black as a black person and extreme within your blackness. So therefore you are deemed a threat. And then drawing a connection between that, right back to what we was talking about with the new black Panther party. The first publicly known target of black identity extremists was a brother named Rakim, who was attached to guerrilla mainframe in a huge Pinoon gun club, which both formed out of Dallas, Texas, with the founding members of those two organizations coming out of the new Black Panther Party. So you see to where a lot of the targeting that has taken place has centered around modern-day versions of what took place within the Black Panther Party in, in the 60s and early 70s. So this is still coming full circle, people. So within all that being said, 
and a lot of the fractionalization and, and splits that you have now are different variants of, of organizations that come off of the works of the Black Panther Party, the new Black Panther Party, the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, and all of those variants that come out of that, we are dealing with the same type of operations that are still taking place to this day that built up from what happened with the original or the initial concept that we, we all got exposed to as it applies to counterintelligence. Two things I want to bring into attention when it comes to the theater of war that I need the people to make, uh, be aware of. Weapons of mass destruction. Most people are familiar with weapons of mass destruction. And from that standpoint, the first thing that comes to mind is strategic warfare. Strategic warfare being nuclear armament. Also going into the development, modern-day development of Space Force, which is to create certain types of technology and weaponry that can protect satellites as well as knock out satellites, which as well as create uh, control over world grids and power grids and communication grids across the world. So with that being said, and that type of move that is going, play, going into operation now, the concept of weapons of mass destruction has always created this uh, 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 um, mystery in, to, the, to, the mass, to the average person in terms of when they think about that, they think about outright destruction of everything. But in essence, weapons of mass destruction have to do with dealing with large numbers and, 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 and casting a, a, a spider web or a net effect when it comes to warfare. But there's another side of that coin that a lot of people are not familiar with, and it is called weapon of precise destruction. See, it's two of those. Keep in mind, when you deal with weaponization and you deal with warfare, just like I talked about in the past when you talked about people that are real good in, in addressing polarity, you have to recognize the same thing goes into this. So earlier we talked about counterintelligence, and then we also talked about the aspect of counter-enlightenment. So there's two sides to the coin. There's always at least two sides to the coin of everything we deal with. So now we're talking about weapons of mass destruction and weapons of destruction, two sides of the same coin, which is destruction. So precise destruction has to do with specific targeting of individuals, groups, or, or, or movements from the standpoint of eradicating and eliminating their, their ability to be effective. That is a weapon of precise destruction. Not too many people are familiar with that concept. So when you talk about COINTELPRO, they might be like, oh, yeah, we've heard of that, and, and then you go into the targets of COINTELPRO. But they don't actually think about this on a large-scale basis in terms of it actually being a type of warfare in military science. It is a military science people that we're exposing you to. We're letting you know that these things are not, this, this is not some quote-unquote conspiracy theory, but it is an actual science that is pursued and developed like any other science. And so the deployment of these type of, of, of methodologies that go into that, just like with anything else that has to do with trials, there are going to be domestic use and international use. Always, and, and this is whether we're talking about the United States government or we're talking about China or we're talking about Russia or, or any of the world powers from that standpoint. It is always an aspect of internal and external defense. 
No different than it is with our own human anatomy. No different than it is with the natural way of law, of, 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 of universal law. There's always an internal and an external. So if we open our minds and think, think of things from a deeper perspective, then it will be a lot easier for us to be able to recognize the patterns that are being portrayed out there so that we can actually identify when these things are being used and how they are being used. Therefore, going back to one of the things Brother E uh, was hitting us with, and that's how easy it is to kill us and to kill our, our quote-unquote leaders or to assassinate the movement, then it won't be so easy to do so. And it will at least halfway be a lot easier to identify it as being such versus some type of conspiracy theory that somebody like Brother War is throwing, their out, throwing out at you so that you won't have these situations to where, again, there's a separation between the knowledge that is provided and the people that, is, that has the ability to receive that knowledge. So as we heighten your consciousness of what's going on by exposing you to both sides of the coin, Hopefully, y'all can take this information that's being portrayed out here on today's show back with you, dissect it, digest it a little bit, and come with it. So I just wanted to at least throw that out there and, and make the listening audience aware of the fact that there's always two sides of everything. So when we're talking about weaponization, we're talking about warfare, it is a science, people, and it is a science that has been precise. It is a science that has been developed. And it is a science that has been that the, the, the uh, United States population has been the guinea pig all along. I advise you all to do some research on Project M- MKUltra and projects similar to that. The United States population has always been a part of the experiments. And these experiments yield results that they, in turn, the, the, uh, the Department of Defense uses, and then they spread it through the, the quote-unquote um, federal agencies. And then that trickles down in terms of intelligence gathering and intelligence use and, and warfare use, trickle down to the state and then the local. So then at the end result, we start looking at the pig or the police officer as being our greatest threat, not knowing that they are taking direct orders from levels of, of authority higher than them. So while everybody is mad and, and, and fighting and, and chanting and protesting against the police, Know that this thing has trickled down to the police. So, yeah, that is your most uh, tangible, reachable element of warfare. But know that they are the peons in this game. And if we want to get down to the solutions of being able to fight our enemy, our open enemy as it applies to people that are put in positions of power to oppress across the board, then we have to not simply be tied up to just addressing the peons. But we have to see how things come downward and sprinkle downward in terms of how they're enforced. So that's all I wanted to say at this juncture right now. Go ahead, uh, Syke or E, either one of y'all. Well, well, I, let me, I, I do got uh, – go ahead, E. Go ahead, E. Mine's real quick. Let me um, speak this in real quick. I think it's interesting that there's a cat on a further reach is as global, maybe more global than even Marcus Darby was, who speaks the fire and rhetoric, rhetoric that the, in, in much the same way that Malcolm ever did. In fact, he was a, a mentee, a student of Malcolm at one time, but he's still alive. And y'all know I'm talking about Mr. Farrakhan. 
and the fact that, you know, you mentioned Khalid's connection to Gaddafi, where he likely developed that connection through Farrakhan, because Farrakhan had that connection before Khalid came into the picture, and in fact, used that connection to help rebuild the nation of Islam after Elijah and Wallace and all that stuff went on between the 60s and, and the, the, the late 70s, early 80s. And I think it's worthy to note that my understanding, Malcolm was not as potent a weapon until he left the nation. Khalid was not as big a threat until he left the nation. As long as these types of things that we're talking about, because most of our time, the nation has talked raw, and even Malcolm, when he was in the nation, talked raw about dealing with the police and dealing with the white man and dealing with the government, just hardcore. But again, as I said, Mr. Farrakhan is still alive. But as long as that type of rhetoric is within the confines of a religion, these folks know that Mr. Farrakhan, Elijah, Solomon is in the nation. None of these cats would be able to unite the masses beyond that religious uh, 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 enclosure, that the, the, the uh, 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 things that they were saying were self-contained, automatically cut off the greater portion of the masses of the people. So it would only unite a small sect who, by their own words, were, were, would, would protect members of the nation, and I don't know how true that is, but would protect members of the nation, but by their own actions showed that they wouldn't step outside of that and protect the masses as, as a whole and go to bat and go to battle for the masses of the people as a whole. And so as long as those words and whatnot, these actions, whatever, or it's in the confines of something that cuts itself off and limits itself automatically like a religion, there is no real threat of a black messiah uniting all the masses of the people. But when you take that outside of the confines of a religious teaching, which by its very nature, religion is controlled. So all they had, you know, it was, like I said, it was automatically controlled. There were certain things they were and were not going to do, and, you know, to the extent, and da 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 And as long as the things we're saying and others say stay within the confines of something like a religion, it really doesn't pose that much of a threat. But when it steps outside of that, as Malcolm did and then died, as Kyla did and then died, then it begins to pose a real problem because it begins to speak. It, it takes the, the, the reins off, so to speak. It, takes the, it, it removes the limitations of a religion and begins to speak to, 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 the, to the real issues of the masses as a whole and has that potential for that unification and uh, the, 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 the bringing together of the masses of the people because it's no longer talking to this particular religion. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that in there. That, you know, Kyle got his connection and had the same connection that Farrakhan had, but yet Kyle ended up there. So there, there, there's, there's a huge difference in the way that it, it was rolled out and applied and how they used that particular threat. I like that. That was a good assessment. Well, you know, I don't agree with you a lot, you know. So if I agree with you, boy, you might have you stumbled up on something. 
you might you just may have stumbled up on something, boy. Every now and then, boy. Every now and then, a broke clock is, is right. Every now and then. So, boy, I, I, I give you that. <laughs> I give you that. But I'm I'm just joking. I'm playing. I think we got to be a little light. But this is what I wanted to ask. And I'm gonna put this on wall. Yeah, wall. I'm gonna put it on you. Cause we keep saying Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad as if everybody know who that is. And I need you, Ward, to kind of give us a look, you know, for the listening audience and for people that may listen to it archived later. You know, Dr. Khalid died 20 years ago. Dr. Khalid died in 2001. A lot of people might not know who the hell that is. So who who is Dr. What who and what is a Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad? Mm. All right. So, Dr. Khalid Muhammad, and I'm not going to go break down his, 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 his history within the Nation of Islam because I'm not a student of him, but basically Dr. Khalid Muhammad was what Malcolm X was to the Nation of Islam, the exact same thing. He rose through the ranks and became the national spokesman of the Nation of Islam in uh, the generation of, you know, the, the, the 90s. I would just say the 1990s. Uh, at the same time, he became um, so powerful and to the point to where, if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was a Congress that wanted to create an a actual law, a bill, to silence him and, and strip him of his first, first right, uh, his, first, his, 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 his first right, a right to a free speech, they, they, actually, they, they um, did. They did. His, first, his first amendment uh, right to free speech. First amendment rights. They, they, Correct. They, so Kyle was, they, the, was the first person. They voted, yeah, yeah, he was the first person in first person the United States to do that. Yep. The, first, the only person in the United States, or should I say the first person in the United States, to where they, they, they attempted to do that. So that just tells you how powerful of, of a that. threat he was. What's that? I said they did do that. They didn't attempt. They did. Yes, they, they succeeded. They, they voted okay. and said, yeah, we officially condemn what this dude is saying as a body, as the U.S. government. We say this dude is wrong. And you're right. That's the, first, that's the only and, time I know of anybody. Can and and let, me, let me add this before we walk into you, uh, uh, somewhat of a jailhouse lawyer. The reason why they was able to do that is because first right, the First Amendment right of free speech does not protect speech. That could actually cause death. Like for instance, if you if, if Brother E is in a crowded movie theater and he houses fire and people starts running and they trample each other and five people die, uh, and they charge Brother E with that murder with, with manslaughter, Brother E can go to court for that. He can't use the First Amendment right of free speech. Man, I'm practicing my free speech, but your free speech caused death. So that's what they use in order to to uh the censor Dr. Khalid. So he is the first person in, in, in American history that be censored from his First Amendment uh, right to free speech. But as we know about this society, they wrote in clauses to allow that to take place for, for that particular reason. But go ahead, Brother Wall. All right, so Brother Wall, moving on. Oh. Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, so moving on in regards to who it was, again, he got so powerful that they did that they did that move to him, and that brought pressure on the nation of Islam in terms of what the direction and the power that Farrakhan wanted to keep on his moving and his control. So Khalid got basically too big 
for the nation of Islam in terms of being able to control control the dynamic through Farrakhan. So Farrakhan basically had him silenced to to resume power, and in doing so, that created the fallout. Uh, Khalid, the uh, one there was a particular assassination attempt done uh, attempted toward Khalid uh, in L.A. and when they attempted to assassinate Khalid, Khalid actually, one of the safe houses he had was in Dallas, Texas. So here comes his first initial connection between, uh, between him and the uh, New Black Panther Party. So Khalid Muhammad comes to Texas, comes to Dallas, Texas, and uh, wait, the brothers wait, that was assigned. Wait, go ahead. Wait, yeah. Wait. Just because I like parallels, but in the way that you uh, put out that he was essentially uh, Farrakhan's Malcolm, um, in, in similar fashion, he was silenced and all of that. And it was uh, uh, the excuse was his uh, speech, I believe it was at, at King College, um, where he said he dogged out the Jews like Farrakhan and everybody had been doing for, for years. Even old Mr. Jesse Jackson had a line or two at one point in time talking about Heinetown. Yeah, his speech at King College was the speech of Farrakhan and then used at the time to uh, shut down and start distancing himself from uh, college. So, again, another parallel. Um, and, and just on college background, college wasn't no run-of-the-mill cat. College uh, went to, I forget what age, he was like 15 or 16. He was a kid. He went to, to Harvard. I mean, it was a straight-A, brilliant, brilliant cat. I mean, it's no dummy at all. So, um so, yeah, I just want to throw that parallel out there for you. Anybody right, so, that want to have a, get an understanding of the way, way Dr. Khalid thought, you know, you can look up Dr. Khalid videos on YouTube and, and see some of his interviews. One of the best ones, I think, is uh, when he was on the Fear Dunahue show. And you'll okay. be able to get an idea of his political ideology. But go ahead, Walt. Yeah. All right. So the thing about it is when the assassination, uh, when he needed to lay low, he was introduced to some brothers in Dallas um, who obviously he didn't have no idea uh, who the hell they were at the time and was, you know, skeptical of the whole situation. But nonetheless, he was, um, he was greeted by the New Black Panther Party. The New Black Panther Party, certain members of the New Black Panther Party, I was on, I was on the detail as well, were given security uh, over college while he was at his safe, safe house. And in doing so, this was his first introduction to the new Black Panther Party. He was so impressed by them, you know, basically the way they stood guard, the way they protected him, and, and, and how they, they, they operated with, with weapons, small arms, that he decided to start partnering and working with them in, in the issues that they was addressing and dealing with. So Kyler being an uh, international figure that he was, and some of the issues that was taking place in Dallas, that the new Black Panther Party was instrumental and involved in, it basically put uh, spearheaded or put uh, the new Black Panther Party on the map in terms of just the importance of the issues because now you got Khalid Abdul Muhammad, who was this powerful, charismatic international figure assisting the new Black Panther Party. Over time, it got to a point to where Khalid decided that this was going to be his new home. So Khalid Abdul Muhammad and Aaron Michaels, basically, who was the founder of the New Black Panther Party, by the way, formed a relationship, and at a, at a certain point in time, they mutually agreed 
to have Khalid represent as the national chairman and Aaron represent as the national minister of defense. So Dura created that merger that took place within the new Black Panther Party that spearheaded and put Khalid in, in the uh, national position of an organization that was already on the radar, that was already being monitored at a high level because of, of his operation, now all of a sudden being coined with a person of college stature. So instantly the organization got put at the top of the list in, in the intelligence community, and then they went to work doing what they do. So from that standpoint, uh, like, like Sykes said, a real good, in my, in my opinion, the best video to watch is the Donahue Show. Reason being, and I'm just going to throw this out there and let y'all do your own research, that actual event, you had Khalid Muhammad, who became the national, uh, the national uh, ch- uh, chairman of the new Black Panther Party. And then next in line, you had Malik Zula Shabazz, who's also on that show, who became the next mm-hmm. national chairman of the new Black Panther Party. And then you had Hashim Nzinga, who's also on that same show, mm-hmm. become the third chairman of the new Black Panther Party. So all three brothers are on that Donahue show. All three became the national chairman of the new Black Panther Party. So I thought that's a bit of history from that standpoint that uh, that's important that the people ought, ought, ought to have going into watching that video. So digressing back to who Khaled was and his, his, his importance, because of his international connections, he also uh, uh, helped, I, I want to say, certain uh, some, some of the countries in Africa, like I want to say for specifically, I believe, it was South Africa. Khalid was instrumental in, in dealing with the apartheid movement, uh, uh, releasing a movement in South Africa. So Khalid was actually doing things internationally. It wasn't just in the United States. So he was making headway on the continent. And so he was considered a powerful threat at that point. And then, again, moving to the position of, of working toward international resources for the new Black Panther Party and formulating the organization to go in a certain direction that he was trying to take it in, not even getting into the, the politics behind that. But nonetheless, this is, this is what was, he was working toward. He had, they had to assassinate him. So going back to how we're, we're talking about all of this in general, the assassination of the movement, how to get away with it, it is based on, again, us not recognizing the concept of neutralizing movements. And so as we look at some of the, the pet peeves and concepts within COINTELPRO, let's take this to a modern-day time and look at how the, the, our approach to dealing with community activism, our approach to dealing with uh, basically empowering the community has to change. We cannot continue to be caught up in nostalgic ways of operating based upon the things that the media gravitated around and using those as tools and techniques for the, for, the, for the front of how we move forward today, which is why Brother E was talking about, in fact, the way he was. Because it's one thing, it, 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 it's, it's mass appeal. It, it looks good. It's a show. It looks like a good show of force when you have hundreds of brothers lined up in the streets with their weapons. But in essence, are you, what are you revealing about your hand? And are you actually in a position to, t- to go tit for tack and take it to the next level? Is that really what you're projecting? Because it's not, what, it's not what's going to actually go down. 
it's what we call back in the days within when we was all young at the New Black Panther Party, and our, 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 our chief of staff, David Foreman, used to say wolf tickets. That's what you call that. But going into the solutions of what we have to do is we have to recognize aspects of neutralization. We have to recognize that certain things that we do and continue to do put us in position to basically neutralize ourselves. A lot of this has to do with having a protest culture and mindset in terms of dealing with or raising the consciousness of the people, whereas protest is supposed to be how you galvanize and take and, and, and concentrate the people's energy so that you can now put them to work. That's the key. It is so you can now put them to work. It is not supposed to be a mode that you sustain and stay in indefinitely, 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 as if it becomes its own basically branch of organizing. And that's what you basically have happening in, 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 in some of the newer generations of, of, of mass organizing right now. So we have to actually identify with this as being a problem and deal with it. So well, in addressing well, that, yes. I'm going to give you all something both you like. Um, and we only got about 20 minutes left, but I think that okay. we talk about coin temple and all these lofty things, people we get caught up and be like, yo, I'm not a part of that. It doesn't affect me, blah, 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 blah. I think that it would be beneficial to connect COINTELPRO to particularly to, to the entertainment industry, in particular music, how COINTELPRO has its fingers in that as well, you know, particularly rap music because of the power that it possessed initially going back to the, to the old days, you know, back, back, back in the day uh, with, with, with rap. Um, so I think that that might be something that folks need to hear and understand that they are victims of COINTELPRO every time they flip on, you know, put in their base, best, their, their, their favorite little whatever song that they like. So, you know, you might want to hit on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me, let me, in fact, let me dive into just another person that was a target with the project, um, uh, Megiddo Operation. Two, two of them, in fact, but one person coming out of the other one. The, uh, the hip-hop group Public Enemy Number 1, or Public Enemy, I'm sorry, Public Enemy. Public Enemy was obviously on the radar as a result of the type of things that they were doing uh, through trying to erase the consciousness of, 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 the, uh, of, of the people. And it got to a point to where Public Enemy had became so powerful within the hip-hop community that they crawled, technically crossed over to a white, a white audience. But in particular within Public Enemy, their minister of information, Brother Professor Griff, had become so powerful in terms of the messages of politicizing P.E. and where he was taking P.E. to where they had to get him removed from Public Enemy. So Professor Griff actually got targeted, and his removal from Public Enemy was an attempt to silence his opposition of power. And so he became a target of it as well. And giving you a modern example of that in terms of the no-touch policy is that when Nick Cannon invited Professor Griff to his show 
to where Nick Cannon had been uh, known on the internet and got, you know, he was always famous, obviously, in the entertainment industry. But his his show had become popular in in the in the quote, quote unquote black conscious community because he would invite people on his show that would be, you know, speak the truth in terms of, of, of the political issues that were going on day to day in, in terms of hip hop community and just our community in general. But when he invited Professor Grip on his show, they wanted to shut him down. It wasn't until Professor Griff got on the show that it was enough. And Nick Cannon had to battle okay, with that. Well, so I advise y'all to go back and look at that. And Professor Griff himself, and I tell everyone to definitely go out and check this. He, um, has a program called Serious, Serious Minds. Serious Minds. So check that out on, on the internet. And he put out, to me, very powerful books, one called The Psychological uh, Covert War on Hip Hop. And it's a part one and part two to that. So I would say definitely go look into those as resources when you start talking about the connection between the different types of, of operations we're talking about. Because Griff goes into that as well as how obviously he uses the hip hop uh, culture as a a way to get into the minds of our of our people of the masses of our people to go over how instrumental the government is in terms of of character assassination of psychological operations as it applies to creating the type of what I would call zombie to prevent the connection between the people and those that are in the community attempting to raise the consciousness of the community. Because from that standpoint, when you talk about how our music is utilized and weaponized against us, its role is to create and no, is to basically numify you and to zombie, put you in a zombie mode and a consumer mode, so that there is a, so that your value system is far removed from that of a, of a revolutionary or a community activist. And if your value system is removed and your value system is that of a, con- of a consumer and that of a bloodsucker, then it makes it way, way more harder to reach you in terms of getting you to, deal, to, to overstand the concept of accountable spending, to overstand the concept of basically being able to give back and put back into your community, to also the concept of dealing with even capitalism from the standpoint of how it can be used to help you benefit within your struggle. So from that standpoint, the psychology behind weaponizing and using the people against themselves go right into the operations that we're talking about, go right into basically what it means to assassinate and destroy a movement. Because when we think of assassination, again, too often we're thinking of that in terms of, of a bullet being put between, between someone's eyes. Or, 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 and the problem is assassination go takes on many forms and many characteristics and music one of those weapons that has been basically a a brilliant tool of of destruction against our our, our people not even I mean, even before hip hop but hip hop in general or should i say rap not hip hop but rap in general it, it has been Thank very you. instrumental yes yes I, I please I stand to be corrected on that one, and and I definitely I definitely tell y'all to check out people like KRS One when it comes to that the difference between rap and and, and hip hop okay so y'all check him out all day long him and Professor Grip but as as I was saying the weaponization of our music and the stripping of our culture through music 
creates a further divide that is used as mythologies of assassination against the general public. But when we don't recognize this and when we're not able to see that this is what's going on, then, again, we continue to fall victim to the trap that they put us in to not know how to even embrace our leadership, our true leadership now. So when people see organizations uh, of Panther Panther formations out there and want to embrace them and want to build with them, they don't know how to touch them. They don't know how to associate with them because oftentimes they're so far removed from what it appears to be appears to be needed in order to connect with these organizations. It's like a person's own level of discipline is 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 so un, unassociated with, with that of a community organizer that it becomes a complete challenge to just get myself to a certain position of, of personal discipline to where I can associate myself with those with those movements. Because I got to change a lot about who I am. And again a lot of us are so embedded in the, the consumerism culture that that in itself is enough to stop us from even moving forward and working hand-in-hand hand with these movements. So we find ourselves, like I deal with here in San Diego, having to develop a curriculum of in-processing to even raise somebody to a certain level of consciousness so that they can benefit the movement. And what we refer to that as Knowing the fact that most people that decide they want to be a part of something are completely willing to, but what we find is that they lack the uh, readiness and they lack the capabilities to be of benefit to the movement. So you have all three things that need to come into play, not just your willingness, but your readiness and your capabilities. So these three things, which we refer to in one aspect as a trifactor, have to come into place so that you can just begin to participate in the movement. And so when you talk about things like that and you talk about, again, the assassination of a movement, it is that disconnect. It is the, 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 the fact that there is a bridge that has to be connected and maintained within the community organizers and the ones that they're organizing to help liberate that these programs are targeting to create more and more in a, in a, a greater and greater separation between the two so that you have a polarization so that you have an extremism you see so basically on one side of extremism is, is being a zombie is being completely dead mind on the other side extremism is being completely woke or a level of degree of consciousness and as long as you can create that that clear distinction and that and, and that clear uh, separation between the two, you have us where you want us. Go ahead. I'll let someone else jump in. Now. I think in terms of, of music, you also have to, to, you know, looking at the bigger picture, there was a time when KRS-1 talks about it, uh, there's nothing negative in and of itself of the booty, booty, booty types of music. But back in our day, you had that on one hand, but then you had the KRS and the public enemy on the other hand. And a lot of the, the younger folks, if there are younger folks that are listening, may not be completely aware of that, that part of rap history, that rap was actually conveying its message with groups like uh, 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 Leaders of the New School and, and Tribe Called Quest and, and these cats wearing the 
whatnot, and the kente and the cloth and all of these things, that there was an identity uh, message that was very mainstream. It was then what all of these popular cats on the radio today are. They were getting radio play. They were getting played at the club. They were getting played at, at the party. So this was mainstream, this cultural cultural awareness, this self uh, what is it? Uh, self pride, this self awareness um, was being transmitted through the music. And as that started to happen, how is it be? You know, uh, as as uh, calm, cool, and collected as they are, saw this developing, and, and hence you had the the, the um, flooding of the market of uh, different forms of rap, be it gangster rap, be it two-life crew type. Again, nothing wrong with that music in and of itself, but it began taking over the airwaves and got pushed to the point that cats like KRS-One, the greatest MC of all time, got pushed to the side. All these messages got pushed to the side. So this was this was uh, absolutely a COINTELPRO to – because – they know, they understand better than we do at this point in time that music moves black folks, that music moves African people to action. You play the right song, you can get people wired up in a particular direction. That was the problem with Tupac. You know, so this, this, this idea of uh, this call to, to action, this call to awareness, this call to culture had to be muted. And what, rather than taking them head on, flooded the market with a counter message and at the same time embraced it uh, that uh, the, that that um, cultural idea. So it began began getting cast like PM Dawn. It became popular. You know, pop music. It lost its its relevance. It, they embraced it and said, "Yeah, this is great. Let's make it even softer. Make it fluffier. Let's take the masculinity out of it and just completely, you know, uh, obliterated that, that 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 mindset and that push that was going on at that time. So that you know, and and that's why I say we are being assaulted." Every time we listen to the music we want to listen to, it's a COINTEL operation. If that music is more popular, you know, uh, uh, Q-Tip and, and uh, Jungle Brothers and, and cats like that didn't just fall off the map. They didn't just stop making music. KRS-One didn't just stop making music. You know, this was a concerted effort because you had this, this, this knowledge of self making the Islam stuff coming out the East Coast. And, and just like, you know, Khaled and the New Black Panther Party, you had to, you know, uh, with uh, uh, you had in, in, in that era, this uh, consciousness, this, this call, this, this uh, self-awareness coming out of one coast, and on the other coast you had this, this gang, you know, let's do this, let's ride or die type of mentality. If you let those two things meet in the middle, you'd have a problem. You know, so, so uh, uh, the, like I said, the, the music and the entertainment is, is a COINTELPRO act. All of these things are, are being manipulated, uh, for, and it has different names at different times, um, Whatever you want to call it, I call it COINTELPRO because I'm sentimental like that. But it's um it's all the same program, it's all the same uh, folks, and it's all the same intent. It's manipulate the minds of the masses to make it so that they can control. If they want to assassinate a character, or if they want to assassinate a person outright, whatever, the masses of the people are going to buy in and go along with it. And like I said, a large part of it is because even our refusal to be co-opted has been co-opted. Rebellion has been co-opted. It's, it's a fad. It's something you put on your music. It's something you have on the latest episode of whatever show it is that you like to watch. When somebody shows up the black fish and all of that, oh, yeah, it was, it's something to be entertained with. 
And so COINTELPRO worked right into that, and it's like, yeah, instead of pushing back against the resistance, we'll, we'll make it entertaining. We'll make it a fashion statement. We'll, we'll have a Malcolm X cap made by Nike in China. What the fuck? You know, that, that type of shit. So, um, so yeah, it, it, we have to, to, to apply these lessons to every aspect of, the, of our lives simply because they're not operating just in one realm. It's not just one thing that they do. Their fingers are all over everything that we experience every day. Hello? I'm we here. We, we live. Okay. <laughs> we well, live. You teach. So we live. I, I, I come in and just throw uh, another example um, into the mix that even goes back before that. Just the influence that the the previous generation had, or the, the way previous generation had, um, in terms of the yeah. same thing. Well, I was going to say Billy Holiday, and and talking about strange fruit. See, the FBI before then, yes, was targeting that. And so they had, they had to eliminate that situation. So there is plenty of examples. Sam Cooke is, is another example in terms of, of the, the uh, movement and power that he had in, in regards to uh, once he dealt with something from a politicized perspective. So it's not new that, this, uh, that hip-hop was, was used to the fashion that it was. It go. It dates back way, you know, way further back than that. So anytime music, which obviously, you know, like E is, is addressing, touches your soul and touches your connection with which with your roots and with your culture, that in itself has to be detached from your culture. So the idea here is that is that you want to remove a people from their connection, their their intimate connection with their music, and control that connection. One of the aims of COINTELPRO was when you talk about preventing the rise of the black messiah. What people don't recognize, and then it also talking about making sure that the, the masses stay asleep. So what we're talking about here is how you weaponize things you can against making sure that the people don't wake up, that they stay numb, that they stay in a position of being slept, and that you create a further divide between them and the, the the ones that are that serve as an example of how you should move forward in order to deal with liberation, in order to deal with self determination. <clears throat> so as you create this wedge between the two, music has always been, and continues to this day to be one of the greatest weapons that you use against a people, because it further, further, further brings us to a position of not even being able to recognize what the hell a revolutionary is. So then we have to have shows like this to reawaken the people and get them to recognize how they are sipping on their own poison, not knowing that sipping, sipping this poison, uh, even if they call themselves casually sipping the poison, how it, 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 it destroys and eats at your, your mind state. In terms of your connection with your your true self, your connection should matter to you versus what this dream and perceptive fairy tale land that we we often find ourselves living in. So, I think that's important that you know we we address these things and we get y'all to recognize this is what we're talking about. Uh, we got eight minutes left. Site E. Who wanna who wanna go ahead and sum it up before we take take it out? I think this is your baby. Well, I, 
when I had, I, I, I actually don't have a song, and I guess eight minutes is, is maybe not a lot of time for this question, so maybe y'all can jump in it together. But it's a, it's a few things we said that I think we need to dig into or try to understand. And I've I got a question I want to ask about that, two questions. One to E, because E said this. You said people failed us. But as revolutionaries, the revolutionary job is to raise the consciousness of the people. People's job is to protect the revolutionaries. As we looked in the movie, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, when we were dealing with Fred Hampton, when they attacked Panther officers, the, the police was able to do that because the people in the community just stood idly by and watched. If the people in the community would have stopped it, it couldn't have happened. The revolutionary has to be protected by the people. The people have to stand with the revolution. The revolutionary, the Jesus, the Messiah, whoever, can never do anything if he's not supported by the community. The community has to give that support. It's very, very important. So the question is, how do we educate or raise the conscience of the people to the point where they protect us and stop failing us? That's the question. Because you said the, the, the people failed us. But in some way, maybe we fail in the people because the people don't understand they do this. They don't understand they draw to their revolutionaries. You know, and that, that's just a question, and that's more toward E. The other question is more toward war, because war talked about COINTELPRO and the different uh, 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 programs that they created in order to take out these leaders, these organizations, and anything that, that could be seen as detrimental. But the question is, this question is simple. Why? Why go through all of that just to take these people out? What is the purpose? What is the goal? What is the motivation behind it? These are the two questions that I that I have the, the audacity to call to ask y'all in the last eight minutes of the show. No, in the last two minutes. Actually, you give us two minutes because we got to let our music go down. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last two minutes, yeah. That 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 sounds like a, a topic for the, for the next show. Yep, that is that is yeah, that no is way. something we want to leave. <laughs> yeah, we want to lead. We want to lead that for the, for the, for for another show. So we're gonna hit y'all in the next show. We'll dive more into those things. Now, what I do want to say, sure indeed, just real real quick and simple as to answer to 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 the part you asked me because it's simple. Again, it goes back to the protecting the, the internal security and the momentum of a world power structure. That world power structure. In order to keep pace of the level of, of capitalism, to keep pace the level of fascism that it is maintaining, it must maintain operations in order to calibrate things to keep that, that same pace of, of development. It's as simple as that. There's no different than, like I said, with natural law, that you have certain things that are in place. So this weaponization that I'm talking about is autonomous now. This weaponization is just, is, is just ingrained within the system. So we have to get back to having a natural weapon of, of defense to deal with it. And with that being said, E, I say, take us out. I don't want to be given anything by you. I just want you to leave me alone so I can do it myself. 
But you know, when the Israelis pick up guns or the Poles or the Irish or any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, word for word, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so they won't be any more like him. I probably am a dead man, dead man already. I don't want to be given anything by you. Word for word. But I know who my heroes are. And George Washington is not one of my heroes. What the American public has always tried to do is to accommodate me into a system which has always meant my death. I probably am a dead man. to become an accomplice to my own murder. This is what you really mean by integration. I don't think that this republic is the summit of human civilization. They don't want to become like Ronald Reagan or like the President of General Motors. I have to have another sense of life, which in fact my situation here has forced me to trust. And perhaps I know more about you and your institution than you know about me. And perhaps I have a judgment on them. Perhaps I don't want what you think I want. And that there's nothing you can give me. Perhaps there is something that I can give you. Word for word. It is not new for me. You've always felt that. It is new for you. And if, if we were white, if we were Irish, if we were Jewish, if we were Pole, if we had, in fact, in your mind, a frame of reference, our heroes would be your heroes too. And I can't be a hero for you instead of a threat. Malcolm X might still be alive. I believe a dead man, dead man already. So we call Michael says, and he's quite right. Integration is a euphemism for white supremacy. The truth is that we've been integrated here since we got here. That is not what the battle is at all. If Negroes in this country arrange from every color in the heaven from yours to mine, people even blacker than me, that gives away the history and tells us what happened, word for word. White people don't hate black people. If they did, we'd all be black. I can't really ask a black boy, young, let's say 20 years old, to live on the terms decreed by the American white people. This is what you really mean by integration. I cannot ask him to allow the forces to rule this country, to emasculate I probably am a dead man, dead man already. There is nothing in the evidence offered by the book of the American Republic. All your very corpses now begin to speak. I probably am a dead man, dead man already. I can't depend on the American moral credit, but you don't have that moral credit. No, you told yourself and us for all these years nothing but lies. I'm not even talking about the past. I'm talking about the present. No matter what I say, the despair in the ghetto, the despair throughout the country accumulates with every hour, and people.
people grow up much faster than you think they do. Let me, do, let me try to make it clear to you. For me, this has always been a violent country. It has never been a democracy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.